soon, if not now, 2023 law school graduates will start what, for some, might be the most difficult period of their lives, preparing themselves for the July bar exam. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm joined by Barbreeze President Mike Sims to talk about the process. Mike, welcome to the show. You're in a, a busy month, I would imagine. Uh, it is. In fact, when you said soon, if not now, it's probably now and now are. Uh, so there is a lot of studying <laughs> already going on and tension starting to rise. But it's great to be here with you, Stephanie. So if you just started today, would you, I don't want to say to be too late, but do you need to get on the stick? Yeah, no, today's a, today's a good day to start. I mean, it's as I said to a group of students earlier in the week, when's the best time to uh, start bar, bar review? Yesterday. And if you missed that, start today. <laughs> curious. How did you wind up at Barbray? Was this, did you think you'd go into this at the beginning of your career? Where did you take the bar in Texas? Yeah, I took the bar exam in Texas after I graduated the University of Texas. And I can say, you know, having done this for 30 years now, I don't think anyone ever wakes up as a small child and says, what I really want to do is bar prep. No, I had intended to be an admiralty lawyer. I had accepted a job at a law firm in Houston to go do torts on boats. And uh, Richard Conviser, who founded Barbary, uh, had known me when I was a student rep and convinced me to give my job back at the law firm and go to work for him. And I told him at the time, I said, Richard, I'm only going to do this for two years because nobody would ever do bar review as a career. And here I am. So I know you're probably a fairly humble person, but tell me, how did you come to Convisor's attention? Our model is, as most lawyers listening know, uh, that we hire law students to sell to other law students. And okay. I did a pretty good job selling to my first year class and became the head student rep at the University of Texas. And we needed somebody to run our course in Texas. And Convisor said, go call Sims. So that has always been what the model has been to sell. You hire someone at the law school to sell to his or her peers. How did you talk people into that? I mean, I don't think it's a hard sell. People are too afraid not to do Barbary. <laughs> Our idea has been that obviously we want to help you pass the ultimate final exam, the bar exam. But uh -huh. also we recognize that you have to pass final exams along the way. So Barbary has always provided a suite of outlines, lectures, and practice questions that helps students from their very first set of finals all the way through graduation. So they kind of get used to using the stuff. And do you think, I know that technology has changed the way people study for the bar, but do you think it's more intense now than it was, say, 30 years ago or maybe even 50 years ago? Yeah, it's a, and it's a great question. And I, and I do. I mean, when we took the bar. When I took the bar exam, the classes were all live. They met at night in a hotel ballroom. And I remember that for the eight to nine o'clock hour, many of us would go to the bar and grab a beer and bring it back for the final hour of corporations. And we never, you know, we never doubted we were going to pass the bar. We knew we had to endure it. But I think today there is a very real and justified stress. This exam is hard. And frankly, Stephanie, I think it's made harder by some of the technology, right? When we were all together at the Red Lion Inn in Austin, Texas, having a beer, we were all in it together. And if anybody freaked out, they, he or she could look to their friends and realize they're all in the same way. Today, folks are alone at their computers and, uh, and stressing, I think, because of that. Do you think, I know now at some law schools, I've heard 
that the graduates are not even, I mean, obviously they're very disappointed, but if they don't pass the bar, maybe it doesn't seem like such a failure because many of their classmates don't pass either. Is it more accepted now than it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago? We certainly, I think, are more respectful of how people learn differently and study differently. But I'm curious, too, if there's less of a stigma now. There may be less of a stigma broadly, but I think for any individual who has graduated from law school and presumably has been successful for their entire career to suddenly hit this one roadblock, there's a lot of individual, probably self-imposed stigma. In fact, I think one of the biggest challenges that bar exam repeaters have is convincing themselves that next time it's going to be different. Right? It's just emotionally devastating for so many people to fail the bar exam. What about from the profession and people that make hiring decisions? I feel like the job market is very good right now. So it's probably more important than ever to pass on your first try. If you don't pass on your first try, say you pass on your second or third, my sense is it'll still be harder for you to find work practicing law. Do you think that's accurate? I think it is, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to have a law license to do what lawyers do. And if you graduate in May, take the July bar, you don't get your results until the fall. And if you're unsuccessful, the next exam is in February. And those results come out in essentially April or May. So you've lost a year of income, perhaps, ultimately. So it's a, it's a terribly devastating thing to fail the bar exam. Let's go back to the repeater question. I'm hearing that with various test prep, I don't know about the bar exam, but certainly for entrance exams, some companies are using AI and GP chat. Does that already figure in of bar study as well? Not a whole lot. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about how chat GPT passed the bar exam. Oh, right, right. (laughs) And and I've got to tell you, I fed chat GPT some essay questions. And having graded a lot of essays myself, I was not impressed. The 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 uh-huh. thing's pretty conclusory. I mean, it's a mediocre 1L essay answerer at best. Yeah, I think as we look forward, there's going to be a real place for AI. Um, in my guess, one place immediately, answering student questions, right? So in Barbary right now, we answer north of 10,000 student questions a year, and we have paid human beings who do so. So can we leverage our database of questions that have been answered to provide students at least a first pass and an answer. There's a lot of folks looking at essay grading with AI. Uh, I don't know that anyone's perfected it yet, but there's a lot of thought that people should should be able to get there in the not too distant future. But um, you know, the thing about the bar exam, at the end of the day, you've got to learn a whole bunch of stuff about a whole lot of things. And so it's not like you can place out of contracts or place out of torts. So I don't know for sure that AI will be a dispositive factor in how bar study works. Can you use it to pinpoint uh, someone's strengths and weaknesses? Maybe weaknesses would be more important. There are some folks working on that, and we're actually doing some investigation into it. But yeah, I want to be very, very careful uh, at what we introduce because you know if we screw something up then you could be delaying somebody's ability to earn income for a year like we talked about. So yeah, we have a mantra around here, don't break the Barbary. And we want to be very careful when we introduce new technology. Well, can you tell me now, how does your product determine where someone's weaknesses are just through the mock tests and practicums? 
Yeah, there's, so there's a series of assessments along the way that we give. There's an opening exam we call baseline that does sort of a basically first front-end diagnostic, and then a series of exams along the way. And the big one is the simulated MBE, simulated multi-state bar exam, given about a month before the exam where we compare every Barbary student against the tens of thousands of students nationwide. And that shows them where they are by subject and subtopic, and then we can adjust their study accordingly. I feel like I have heard this rumor over the years that if you pass the MBE, the essays may not be that important. What do you think? Have you heard that before? I have, and it's not true. Okay. (laughs) But I, I know where it came from. It came from Michigan years ago because Michigan had a rule that if you got a scaled 151 or higher on the multi-state, all you had to show was, and you ready for this, a good faith effort on the essays. And so what you had, though, was a lot of people who would focus entirely on the multi-state and get a 149 and then do good faith essays and get the chance to redo the bar exam. So the mission examiners actually repealed the rule because it created a perverse incentive to not study for the bar. Well, that actually sounds kind of awesome to me. I, I Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> now, you, you got to do well. I have heard from people. I remember talking to this one guy years ago, and he had like 500 flashcards. And he's like, I have to have these answers memorized by the time I take the bar exam. And if I do that, which I can, it's going to be okay. So you could have more, but I don't know if you could really test Could you test someone's ability just on knowing the multiple choice questions? I guess that's kind of why we got to where we're at in the first place, is that's maybe not a great assessment anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. The multi-state has changed a lot over the years, and we'll get to, I know we're going to get to next gen here in a little bit, Mm -hmm. but um, I think the multi-state bar exam as currently constituted is actually not a terrible test because it's not just what are the seven exceptions to the statute of frauds, right? It is a little Mm -hmm. story, basically kind of like a little essay prompt with four answer choices at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So knowing knowing the law is table stakes, right? That gets you there. You then have to know what to do with the law. And the multi-state does a pretty good job of testing that, I think. Yeah, because I'm thinking it would show dedication. Mm -hmm. You put in the time. You understand the basic concepts. And do you think, I guess that will lead to my next question. If someone is, you know, they did their law school classes, they are diligent with their bar exam prep, and they follow what Barbary or whatever test prep group they're using, and they work with their academic support team um, at the law school and follow their advice, they'll pass on the first time. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. This test, yes, it's fairly or unfairly described as a hazing ritual. It has lots of problems, uh, which I think we can all acknowledge. But at the end of the day, if you've done well in law school, if you've graduated from law school and you do the work more than nine out of 10 times, you're going to pass the test on the first try. Those are great odds. All right. I know. Those are really great odds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I do want to ask you some questions about the National Conference of Bar Examiners, a next-gen bar, and what people in your industry are expecting and how that will go. We'll be back. And we're back. 
I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Mike Sims, the president of Barbary, and he has been of Barbary for 30 years, you said, right? That's correct. <laughs> nice. You know what? I think maybe you have been, I don't know if I, I'm almost at 30 years. I started writing about lawyers in 1993. Okay. Yeah, so I, st- I graduated law school in 92, so I got, I got one year on you and, and a lot more gray hair, it looks like. <laughs> okay. I just realized, yeah. 30 years in May. Wow, for me. Well, heck, you know a lot about this. I should be interviewing you instead of you interviewing me. Yeah, you're a very charming man. So let's talk a bit about the Next Gen Bar. Uh, we are speaking on uh, May 19th. And as of today, the NCBE has not released the latest report, uh, which is expected shortly. Can you tell me, do you have a sense yet if you think bar prep will change? I feel like what I have reported on and read about is that parts of the test are supposed to be more like practice and focusing on skills. So I'm wondering if that will require less memorization and therefore less bar prep. Yes to the first, no Mm -hmm. to the second. (laughs) So um, absolutely positively, it's going to require less memorization. And I think that's a good thing, right? If we think of the, the bar exam as currently constituted, is first and foremost a test of your ability to hold a lot of law in your head and then secondly a test of your ability to know what to do with it no lawyer in the united states would ever hold all the law in his or her head and answer a client's question without doing any research if they did that we have a word for that malpractice so the so the the bar exam is on its face as currently constituted unrealistic in that regard that said, talk to any lawyer, and you know, 70, you've, as you said, you've talked to a lot of lawyers over a lot of years. All lawyers recognize we have to have kind of a certain corpus of basic legal knowledge in our head, basically, because that's what we encounter in practice, but also because, you know, family members call, friends call, and they expect you to know broadly. So I think where the conference, national conference is going is let's make sure that aspiring attorneys have a basic corpus of law in their head and then more importantly can we measure their ability to make use of that so in terms of bar prep to answer your question yeah we're going to spend a lot less time on what i call the barbary fire hose of law right we're not going to have hours and hours and hours of doctrinal lecture Uh, we will cover the basic corpus and then we'll pivot to a lot of skills-based exercises that reflect what it is the national conference is going to do and i gotta tell you i'm excited about it a because i think it's a good reform b because it's actually something we had a chance to try out over in the uk Uh, so i don't know if you know but the uk adopted a new licensing exam about three years ago i do remember that when people started giving pushback on our bar they yeah, decided to adopt a yeah the exam. Yeah, the solicitor's qualifying exam or SQE, and it has two parts. It has a three hundred mm-hmm. question multiple choice test that tastes, tests basic principles of law. Sound familiar? And mm-hmm. then it has next a skills component. Now, interestingly, over there, it's done live. You show up with a bar examiner who is playing the role of a judge or a client, and you do real live on the spot solicitoring because they're uh, with the individual. And if you do that effectively, you pass. So we've built exercises 
that teach you how to do that which you're going to be asked to do on the test. Oh, interesting. Do you remember when California tried that? Like back in the early 80s, they did it once. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you study for two months for, you said, less memorization, more skills, tested knowledge. How do you study for that? Is it maybe watching videos? Is it more interactions with people, pretending, watching? I mean, how how's that going to change? And there's still going to be a memorization piece, right? Totally. Totally still yeah. a memorization piece. It's a much smaller piece. Um, so I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I think you're going to see law schools start to bring more next-gen-like activities into the classroom, right? And so as, as you may recall, about almost two years ago now, we acquired West Academic, which is the leading provider of casebooks and other materials to law school. So we're we're working feverishly to provide materials and resources to law faculty to introduce practice next-gen-like assessments and, and exercises into the law school classroom. So that's thing one, introducing law school. Then thing two, when you get to bar review, bar review you have some corpus of substantive lectures and then lots of interactive exercises, things that you're doing asynchronously online where you do you have an opportunity to do a project, do a thing, and then the tool responds to you and you go do it again. So that mm -hmm. that's how we're envisioning doing it. So I would imagine in the exam prep business, you build your prep based on old tests and how people performed. And there's a lot of data to it. So it's measurable what people should be prepping on and what works. How is that going to go for the first <laughs> few years of the next year? There's just so many, I don't know if unknowns is the right word, but I mean, perhaps it is. And that's very hard for lawyers, but it's hard for anyone because you don't have any data to back it on what you're telling people to do for this very important exam. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I'm Ryan. What was it? Donald Rumsfeld uh, back in the Iraq war said we have known knowns, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not taking the bar exam and that gives me anxiety just hearing <laughs> you say that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that certainly there are going to be a lot of unknown unknowns. Uh, but is what we're doing with it is obviously paying very close attention to what the national conference says. And we're taking a very deliberative approach we're not going to get out over our skis and start to produce a bunch of stuff on what our best guess is. So we'll start first with the resources from the conference. Secondly, we're going to look to our experience with the SQE in the UK, recognizing that there are only so many ways to do this sort of thing. And while the test here in the US will not be live in front of a bar examiner, it will still be testing many of the similar sorts of skills. So we, we can think, how would you take that SQE live exam and convert it into a written exam. And there's some ways to do that. Okay. And is there a sense too that at the end of the day, what comes out may not be that different from what's being offered now? Yeah, that's the really fascinating question, right? Because if you think about what the Con National Conference has told us so far, it talks about issue spotting. It talks about application. Um, the essays in the MBE do that right now. So I think there, some of those skills are the same thing perhaps tested with different types of items. But then the other things we start to hear about, um, client counseling, advising, negotiation, dispute resolution, ethics, those are going to be new things that show up. And I think it is a, it is to the good 
that they're showing up. And that's where we'll be in that territory of kind of the unknown unknowns as we try to develop materials for that. Well, and do you think for the client counseling piece and what you just talked about, like how uh, in the UK they did the, the mock stuff, that's stuff that you should be learning in law school. So at the end of the day, you are going to be studying for those multiple choice questions still and learning how to do your essays and writing well and getting your point across. So maybe for the applicants, it won't be that different. It's more for the educators that the differences come in. That's a really interesting point. Certainly, it's going to be different for educators, right? The day of the Socratic sage on the stage, to the extent that is still dominant anywhere, I think it will start to recede, right? That law professors are going to have to do more than purely pontificate. Um, they're actually going to have to make sure that students have those those skills to make use of the law that they learn. Well, do you think maybe schools that have kind of historically had lower bar exam rates often have clinics and they oftentimes don't have as many tenured faculty. So maybe they're with this new model. I mean, maybe some of those schools that tend to have problems, if the intent to teach students to be lawyers well is there, maybe they'll do quite well or at least come up from where they're at. It'll be less of a stress for them. Perhaps it, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. And uh, I, yeah, I, I'd be way out over my skis on trying to predict how that would shake out. But, okay. but I, I think the test will reward those schools that are nimble, those schools that are innovative, and those schools that are open to change. And what about, I mean, for applicants, I think now, if you're a good test taker or if you're not a good test taker and you've had the privilege of test prep, maybe starting in junior high or earlier, Right. For some people, you will do fine. But if you haven't had that privilege, that can be a problem if you're not a naturally good test taker, taker and can't figure it out on your own. Do you think that might change? Yeah, no, I think I think that as we think about the kind of skills focus of this exam, I think it de-emphasizes that naturally good test taker. Right. I mean, in in the current regime, I so often encounter students who say to me, Mike. I don't do well on multiple choice exams. Yeah, and to which I always remind them, uh, hey, didn't you take a multiple choice exam to get into law school? And they go, yes. I said, and didn't you do better than some people because there were people that didn't get in? Right. And so a lot of that, a lot of that becomes sort of self-defeating talk. But I think to your point, it's a really interesting one, Stephanie, because this test is not principally a multiple choice exam, all of those people who have that self-defeating talk track in their head should be able to get away from that because this is a different test. Hmm. Interesting. And do you think if it turns out the bar exam isn't really that different, how will jurisdictions react, particularly ones that have been thinking about alternative licensure paths? If it turns out it's not that much different, or if it turns out it has problems, I think it could definitely accelerate the move toward alternative licensure. It certainly, it certainly cause more folks to start to beat that drum. And do you have sense as more jurisdictions are talking about alternative licensure, how some sort of exam or something can figure in? Because it seems to me if you don't have anything in place, it might be. It seems like the jurisdictions might be more open to implicit bias, yeah. and who gets gets through the process. 
particularly like with the apprenticeships? Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting question. And I haven't thought about implicit bias and apprenticeships. I mean, what I have thought about quite a bit is the experience we had during COVID, right? And and you and I talked quite a bit at that time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was a strong movement to abolish the bar exam. And within the legal education community, a lot of folks suggesting that was one of the greatest ideas they'd ever heard of. The problem is when you went and talked like normal people who buy legal services, normal human beings go, no, we expect that our we want our lawyers to have a rigorous licensing regime. But they're left out of the conversation, though, right? They're oftentimes left out of the conversation. Totally. No, that, yeah. that whole so much of that conversation at the time was an internal echo chamber for all of us in the legal education ecosystem. The, the public thought we were, if you asked them, most of them would respond, you people are nuts. We're not going to get rid of a licensing regime for lawyers. Well, and also, as many people predicted, a lot of the grad 2020 graduates who led that battle are out of it and have moved on with their lives. And I don't think, I, I can only think of one that even still wants to talk about it or tweets about it. Remember Twitter? Yeah. And all the, co- yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, very yes, I remember Twitter. <laughs> I mean, we both got dragged a couple of times, but yeah, yeah the, the people that were leading that, I don't know to what extent they're still involved. It doesn't seem like they're that involved now. But yeah. I guess, well, hopefully we will learn from our mistakes and we, you know, you won't need another law student led battle on Twitter. We Or maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Look, lawyers play a very, very important role in society. And I think the public has every right to expect that the lawyer they hire is, in fact, competent to do the work they're hiring them for. And here right now, we have licensing exams as a way to prove that competency. Now, can we reform the exam? Yes. And that's what we're trying to do right now. But reformation is different than abolition. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to speak with you. It was a delight. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah. And listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered. 